Jamie Lewis, and this is Consumed, a podcast where eaters, drinkers, thinkers, and makers can get real. Thanks for joining me. Consumed is sponsored in part by Slow Life magazine. Over the past several years, I've written the food column for Slow Life, and I've covered many, many different restaurants and dishes here in Slow County. Some of my favorite subjects have been fried chicken, educational dining, and I even recently wrote about the free bread at three different local eateries. Slow Life is much more, though, so get your hands on a copy every other month. To find out how, visit slowlifemagazine.com. Local cocktail expert Robin Wolf isn't sure what her title is. She manages the bar at the Hatch Bar and Rotisserie in Paso Robles. She produces and sells bitters for Slow Bitter Co. She consults on cocktail lists for bars and restaurants, and she competes on the international mixology circuit. She's also a wonderful writer with bylines in Edible San Luis Obispo Magazine, Coyote and Oak, and others. But if I had to decide what Robin does best, it's definitely conversation. She is so fun to talk to. We've known each other for decades, and her brand of humor still gets me every time. We sat down to talk about growing up here in a large family, how she played Tiny Tim at the Great American Melodrama, how she moved to New York for a decade, and how cocktails hold a different appeal for her than wine. Also, I would not have been satisfied if we didn't discuss some of her gnarlier bar customer stories. Spoiler alert, one of them involves chewing glass. This is an easygoing conversation between old friends who never would have guessed they'd be talking about food and drink on a podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Here's Robin. Robin, the last time I saw you was at Julie Simon dinner, I think. Um, It was. In August or September? Yes, I made a punch. Yeah. And your punches, girl, are no mean feet. They pack a punch. (laughs) They do. I've told you before, but we made the the punch that you have up on the Slow Bitters website. Do you still have that recipe? I do. I do. Yeah. I may include that um, with people who listen to this because that is the, I've never gotten so many comments ever on a drink that we made. We used it. I can't remember what it's called though. It's like a winter. I don't know that I ever gave it like a a name per se, but it's definitely more of like a fall winter because it's got the rosemary in it. Yes. You know, right. And that punch we had, um, I want to say like 20, 22 people over for dinner, people we hadn't seen in a really long time. And that punch was flowing and it was a, it was a riot. I love punches for parties and, you know, for a couple of reasons. I love it because as a host, if you're doing it in your home, you don't want to be making drinks all evening. No. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and then also I find it's a great conversation piece to have everyone enjoying the same cocktail. Totally. You know, yeah. whether they like it or they don't, they well, can talk about it. We felt very lucky that we liked it so much, but honestly it was for the ease of like, I'm not going to sit here mixing hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. One and done. Yeah. But not one cocktail. Well, not one cocktail. (laughs) (laughs) You mix a very large cocktail and then everyone (laughs) shares it. Exactly. Um, We've known each other for a long time. Yes. And we lost touch there for a while. And then both of us came home and ran into each other. And we happened to be in the same industry, which I don't, I never saw that coming. You know, and I don't know that I ever did either. It's Mm -mm. it's one of those things that people always ask that question. um, Where do you see yourself in five years? It's always been the most difficult question in the world for me because I would have been wrong every single time I answered it. Yes, right. Same. You got into hospitality 
through, I mean, were you like well, waiting tables or was it the wine thing that took I off mean, first? I mean, I, you know, I started waiting tables when I was 17. I, you know, I worked the 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. shift at Denny's. So that was... You did? I did. I did. And um, looking back, there's just, you know, a bunch of craziness. But even in a small town like San Luis Obispo, it was always uh, an interesting time. But it mm. was definitely an interesting initiation into the hospitality industry. Were you there when the shooting happened? No, no. Maybe that was I later. Was not. It was later. It was later. But I did have my fair share of, you know, um, 3 a.m. brawls and Ugh. strippers and bouncers. And <laughs> all the good stuff. Students. All the good stuff. Yeah. When you, um, when you left here what year was that about oh i want to say it was 2002 late oh, 2002 okay. okay so and you went straight to new york i went straight to new york i was absolutely going to be like the next bernadette peters mm-hmm. but you know things things happen and yeah. my hair wasn't curly enough <laughs> well then you fell in love with other stuff although i know absolutely. you still love theater absolutely and and you know i i was speaking with someone about this recently theater has always been such a big part of my life mm-hmm. i come from a theater family i've known since the time i was five that i loved performing um i would do anything for attention so and i honestly it i find a, a good amount of that behind the bar when I'm making drinks for people. So it is, you know, a performance and it's interacting with people and it's seeing the effect that what you're doing has on your guests. So yeah, yeah, I definitely find a lot of that there. Totally. What's the first um, role that you ever had? Um, I was Tiny Tim at the Great American Melodrama. I was. That was my first paid job ever and I saved my money to buy a Teddy Ruxpin it was very um I was very specific on what I was going to do with that money um but and my older brother and sister had done the the show a couple of years in a row we were actually there for my brother my mom thought I was too young to do it and when she went into the other room with my brother Bogart um they called the name of a kid who had apparently left or chickened out or something. And so I ran up on stage and I, I told them I was that kid and I got the job. You lied. I lied. And you got your first I job. I did. I lied and they gave me money for it. That's, that's life. Right it there. is. That's it good is. life. You know? Yeah. And then, so after that you did theater in like junior high, you went to Jenkins, I, I think, right? I did. I did. Um, um, Mike Lebo and Cindy Correa Lebo were um, my teachers Still there. there. I know. It's Still crazy. There. It's yeah. awesome. It's. I have so much respect for people that, you know, work in the arts with students, especially. And it's, yeah. it's something that I think that we need to give more focus to in, in our society, because even if you don't end up going into the arts as a profession, just all of the benefits from that are just, we're seeing so much more of it. Totally. I mean, I see it. I see it every single day. My, the life that I've had in the arts is not, it's, it's not a separate thing. It's not compartmentalized. It, it, works itself into everything that I do. Absolutely. I, we, I'm in the, um, San Luis Obispo master corral for the second year. (gasps) Amazing. I love it so much. There are like 125 people who sing in there, which is just a force. And we're singing the Mozart Requiem. And there's nothing like that. And mm-hmm. unless you've done that kind of choral singing and been with like that many voices and kind of adding yours in there and being part mm-hmm. of that, it's just this amazing feeling. It is just like amazing. the vibrations through your, mm-hmm. your entire being, you know? Totally. Yeah. Totally. It's been very special to come back to that. The last time I sang like that was in college and it was a huge part of my 
college experience, it was kind of the place that I felt safest and closest to home, honestly. Well, and I remember because we were in high school choir together, in acapella choir, and you played the piano for several of the pieces. And I always thought that that was such an amazing thing to be able to do. It has so deteriorated. It's so... Muscle memory is a real thing. I can play stuff that I played you know, in high school and college, and I can play nothing more than that. Well, I remember specifically when the film The Piano came out when we were in high school and you playing those songs from that movie and just being just enthralled by sitting there listening to it. So I just loved it. And I still play that. And I, like I said, I play not much else. Now my kids are playing and that's what fills, that's what fills our time with music. But it's great. It is. And it's so, it's, I, I see it the way you see it, where it is a part of what we do now. I mean, the fact that I'm having a podcast and that we're talking here so comfortably. Right? In your theater. wonderful kitchen. Thank you so much for inviting me to your, oh my in gosh. your home. I'm happy to. I always love seeing other people's homes, you know. Me too. Totally. I will be that creeper who's like looking in windows from the street, but I'm really not looking for the people. I'm looking for like how you decorated your front room yeah, because I'm feel? obsessed, you yeah. know. My mom used to say we would take walks around the neighborhood and she liked to go at twilight when people would start to turn their lights on. Yes, so you can see that's the magic stuff. time because you can see them, but they can't see you. <laughs> oh, oh, yes. That's so funny. Well, so when you went to New York, you had plans to do theater. Did you wind up doing I something? did. And I, I ended up, um, you know, I ended up doing quite a bit of theater. I ended up working with actually the, the New York, the public theater a bit. Um, not on stage so much, but um, in kind of more of an organizational and planning way. And I got more into, you know, event planning while I was there. I worked with the public theater. I worked with Tribeca Film Festival, other things. And planning kind of came naturally to me because I've always liked, you know, people and parties and things like that. Um, I got some amazing organizational skills from my dad. So, but um, that allowed me to still be part of that world as well. I was, you know, on stage several times um, while I was there. I ended up doing a lot more like commercial and a little bit of film work than I thought I would. Mm -hmm. So that was never my focus. But those jobs tended to be a little bit more plentiful and they paid better. So um, I got very close to uh, being on Broadway at one point when um, the the Green Day musical American Idiot. I got I got through like four sets of callbacks for that. I got very close, and then um, it ended up um, they ended up casting somebody else for what they were looking for me, uh, looking at me for. But I still love that piece, and yeah. you know it was it was nice to to get that close to that. Yeah, totally. And so when did you fall in love with wine? Because I know that was sort of your. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, we being fortunate enough to come from the the area that we do, it was kind of always around and always there in the background um, growing up here. And um, I got, you know, more and more into the hospitality industry while I was in New York and more higher end restaurants and things. And with that goes a certain amount of of wine lists and wine knowledge. Mm -hmm. And when I moved back, I thought, well, this is the perfect opportunity to get more in depth into that because it's all around us. And um, I ended up, uh, you know, getting uh, my certified psalm from the court of master sommeliers so that was great um all that means is that i am comfortable telling you what wine to order it does not make me an expert yeah but did you how did how did you feel about that experience was it easy hard stressful you know and it's so funny because um i 
I used a few study buddies from kind of around the industry, but mainly I did it on my own. And I learned that um, the things that I found difficult, like geography, I've never been good at geography. Um, And I know far more about French geography than I ever wanted to (laughs) at this point. (laughs) Um, So that was difficult for me, but um, it was easier for some people. Meanwhile, the the practical service exam where I'm actually Mm. pouring in front of people and all of that, that came really easily for me. I felt comfortable with that um, because it's being up in front of people and it's, that's just always kind of been my skill set you've also probably been doing that a fair amount already absolutely it was not new for me but then people who I know who were studying for it who came more from the production side of wine Mm -hmm. um, could answer you know the most minute questions about you know the growth cycle of of the grape but you know you put them in front of people about trellising you know and but then um, you, you put them in front of a group of people and ask them to pour sparkling wine in five equal glasses mm. and they're trembling because yeah. you know they're in front of people and that's not what they're used to so yeah. everyone has a different comfort zone I mean my my comfort zone was absolutely the book learning I was so and I did it entirely by myself because I didn't know anybody I was working for the symphony here in town so I had no it's not like I was working in a restaurant and had access right. to stuff or in a wine bar um so I would go and pay for drinks at um I was going to what was it called? The Monterey Street Wine Company? Oh, yeah. He had a lot of stuff. He really wanted to have like a broad global selection. So I would go and buy an entire bottle of wine. And that's, yeah, that's not easy to do. It's not easy and it's not inexpensive. No. And, um, you know, and it's one of those things and we are so fortunate to be where we are and to have so much local wine produced that's of this caliber. Mm-hmm. But I got to say, it's sometimes difficult for me to find wines, be it on a wine list at a restaurant or at a wine store that comes from outside of California yes. or outside of the United States. Yeah. You know, when did you have a moment where you tasted something that was outside of our immediate area and had like an aha kind of moment? I think it was, I, I can't say that it was a specific moment, um, but just kind of really coming to an appreciation of the difference between new world and old world wines. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm that, you know, kind of rare random person who comes from California, who's not a big California Chardonnay fan. But when I, and I thought I just really didn't like Chardonnay, but then I was introduced to, you know, some European style, like French style Chardonnays. And it was just a game changer. And Mm -hmm. to kind of realize how, the styling is different, how it's, you know, lower in alcohol content. It's a little more easy drinking. Um, but then there's a lot to be appreciated about what we do here as well, mm-hmm. especially in this area. Cause it's, you know, it's still very much cowboy country totally. and people are doing things that would be breaking rules in other wine regions. Yeah. So, and I love some of this cowboy wine with the food that we make here. Absolutely. It's and, good. It's a good And it pairing. all has to, it all has to come together in the right way. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of, hospitality at you know at that certain level in a nutshell for me is all of the elements coming together well it has to be the food it has to be you know the the wine or the cocktails it has to be the service Mm -hmm. has to be the atmosphere it has Mm -hmm. to you know because if any one of those things is lacking you know the experience isn't going to be what you want it to be and we're all spending a lot of money to do that if we i mean absolutely if jake and i go out it's really an occasion if we go and do that um we are we're really frugal to be honest. And so it's like, well, if we're going to go in all the way, 
it has to be really, really nice. Well, and also it, there's this kind of, I, I was speaking with somebody about this the other day, this amazing kind of ritualization that we do with going out to eat. And it's something that at, at its core we need to do to survive. It's, you know, one of the few things that we need in our lives to survive is sustenance. Mm-hmm. But if we can take that kind of mundane thing and elevate it in a way to an experience, then we're enriching our lives. And the people mm-hmm. who create this food are giving this amazing gift. And, yeah. you know, it's it's a great to be a part of that industry. It is. And, it, and I like the way you say that it's um, that it's a... Well, how did you just say it? There was something that you said that sparked my my feelings about food. Like the ritualization. That's it. There yes. Okay. Yeah. So I... Also called date night, you know. <laughs> AKA. For, AKA date night. Right. But, I mean, I've had many meals, good meals by when myself. you've traveled so much, well, you know. I mean, I we've traveled a bit, but... Um, but my favorite, some of my favorite meals were just me all alone. In fact, when I was doing my, um, my first, uh, I did WSET instead of the mm-hmm. court. And so when I did my first level, I was by myself down in LA, they were holding it at the wine house and that has an attached restaurant to it. So the night before the exam, we had some free time and I went to that restaurant and I had, I mean, it was something so simple. It was probably like sliders off the appetizer menu, right. but having that and a, a glass of wine that I picked that nobody else bugged me about, um, like, you know, my husband and I don't always have the same taste or like going out with my parents or going out with friends. I had it all by myself. And because I was by myself, I paid attention to it also. Mm -hmm. But what you said about the ritualization of it, I think a lot of the time about how important food is to us as a civilization. We were hunters and gatherers. We were all by ourselves and not really making forward progress until we developed agriculture. Absolutely. And then we have a village and then we have, you know... Um, a community and it's all because we learned how to feed ourselves in kind of a cyclical ongoing way mm-hmm. and so I what we're doing now is just an extension of that absolutely and it's it's being able to celebrate the the bounty that we're able to provide for ourselves mm-hmm. that it's no longer survival it's no longer hand-to-mouth we now get to choose what we would like to eat for dinner not just you know oh, we get to eat tonight. Yeah, right. So, and What's I think in the we, cellar or I in the think, barn. Right. I think we take that for granted so much. And, um, you know, I eat out probably far more than I should. But um, You work. I mean, right. But, yeah. I mean, it's also, it's it's great to get to experience that as much as I do. And, you know, I feel very fortunate. Yeah. Have you done any traveling to, like, wine regions? You know, it's not as much as I would like. Yeah. Not as much as I would like. There's definitely... Um, I'm pretty bad about like there are a million trips that I want to take, but actually just planning it and saying I'm going to take this time off is something that I want to definitely make sure that I pay more attention to. I, I feel like you work really hard. I mean, I feel like I see your work all over the place. And you're also really close to your family, I know, and some of them at least live here. Still, Absolutely. Right? Well, yeah, and I'm I'm I am fortunate to have I'm one of five kids. I have one brother, my poor brother, and his four sisters. <laughs> Wait, and where do you line up in? <laughs> I'm the third. I'm the middle. Okay. So, um, and we are all very close, and um, I'm fortunate to have them all live here. I think we span from like Los Osos to Napomo, so mm-hmm. definitely all we'll That's all be amazing. together soon for Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving and our 
family is a very big thing. It's like yeah. a 30, 40 person thing. So that's so fun. And that is amazing that all five of you are here. Yeah. Is that what you said? All yes, five. That's all five. Incredible. Yes. Yeah. And you know, just such varied life paths, but um, all all still here, all still doing the thing. Yeah. So you kind of moved from wine into cocktails. How did that happen? Well, and it's it's interesting because I I still absolutely love wine, but at the end of the day, whether I was curating a wine list or you know directly serving people in a restaurant. Um, no matter what effort of mine went into choosing that wine, I had no hand in making that wine. And, um, I, you know, was getting more and more interested in spirits and kind of, because there's a little bit more to play with as far as flavor profiles and, you know, a wider spectrum there. And I kind of came about it quite naturally. Um, I've always been a big fan of interesting flavor profiles, be it food, drinks, what have you, and I'm doing new and surprising things. So that came hand in hand with that. And um, I kind of slid into it more than anything. And then definitely once I inhabited that that space in the industry, it, it felt right. Yeah. And it was something that I definitely wanted to make a main focus of my career from now on. Yeah. And it's your niche around here for sure. You know, and that's the thing is um, they say that when you find what you're supposed to do, it comes it comes easy and that's both true and not true at the same time. It does come easy because I do love what I do. Um, that doesn't mean that, you know, you don't need to work hard at it. And as far as you say, you know, I'm, I'm very busy. I am, um, I work better when I'm busy. That's just kind of like my baseline. Um, if I have a day off, I'm like, what am I not doing that I could be doing? And it's a hard, it's a hard thing in our society in this moment. Um, I will say, especially for women, you know, if, we take me time or take a day off or just decide, um, to, you know, spend some time doing something like, uh, going to get a massage. Or it's even like just farting around, like piddling around the house. And I mean, like... I have to block off time for myself to do that. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's important to recharge our batteries. Otherwise we end up just not being happy in whatever we're doing. Yeah. But I have a hard time saying no sometimes to, great opportunities that come my way. And it's like, you look at this, you're like, gosh, so many people would give anything to be given this opportunity. Um, you know, who am I to turn this down? Um, but I also, I've reached a point where I just, I can't say yes to everything and that it's frustrating and it's disappointing, but it's also, you know, you need that balance sometimes. So, I I mean, don't you think back to the time when you were like, I'd give anything to have this kind of, this certain job, I would give anything for someone to recognize that I can do it and just give me a chance. And now, of course, I think we're hitting kind of maybe an age or a season. Is this what adulthood feels like? (laughs) I mean, I, I do because you, it's, it's hard when you do, when you like scrap so hard to like find that recognition. And when I first started, you know, writing, I was going to ask you about that. Um, you know, and, um, when you first start doing something and you're like, wow, this is something I really want to do. I really hope somebody will give me the opportunity. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then it, it starts working out and then it's, you know, easier to find those opportunities. But, you know, I do need to check myself every now and then and be grateful for that. And I, you know, I tend to have a big personality and I tend to need, need to every now and then give myself a reality check and say, Hey, you know, there are lots of people who would be very grateful for these opportunities. So please remind yourself to be. Yes, totally. I remember there was a time that I was 
just getting into food, just getting into wine. And I thought, you know, I've always been an okay writer. I mean, I've always kind of, it's always come easily to me, but I never thought that I would be a writer. It wasn't a thing that I even considered as a job. And there are people who they're born and they're like, I'm going to be a writer. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was never me. But I thought maybe I could do, I decided I didn't want to work the floor. And so I thought, well, maybe I could write about wine. And I got in touch with the food critic for New Times at the time and said, I'm curious, like, what is your job like? Could I shadow you? Or, you know, I did the thing that everyone tells you to do. And she did get back to me, but she was like, you know, I just don't do that. And at the time I was thinking, I'm never going to break in. I'm never going to get an opportunity. And it's just one by one. Little experiences build up like a wall. It is. Well, and it's it's hard in an industry. I um, I was discussing with someone recently about, you've read about imposter syndrome, oh, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. And I've it's, some, it. it's hey. something that I deal with a lot <laughs> where, you know, we're not in an industry where, you know, I'm not a doctor. I didn't mm-hmm. go to medical school, graduate medical school, get my training, and now I have a piece of paper saying I'm a doctor. Yeah. Um, when people call me, you know, a cocktail expert or a drinks expert or a drinks writer, I, you know, I am, I guess, all of those things, but at the end of the day, you know, you always worry about someone coming along and saying like, you're full of it. You're not, you're not an expert. I've been watching you. What are are you calling yourself a drinks writer for? You know? So it's, um, it's always an interesting thing in, in an industry that doesn't really have those hard parameters Mm -hmm. to, to figure out. If you're successful, if you're not, if you can take on this title, mm-hmm. people ask me all the time, like, you know, what's, what's your job title? And it would be amazingly hard to say. Yeah. Right. Um, so I, I tell them I do drinks. That's a good answer. I do drinks. Yeah. That's a good so, answer. You know, you know, our, our industry also, it's funny when you talk about being a doctor, I mean, we need doctors. You Absolutely. Know. I don't know that we need People like you and me, which is so hard to realize like, oh gosh, if we had, you know, an apocalyptic is, situation, would I be super I know. I, I, I am not getting that spot in the bunker. If we have, <laughs> I am not going to be one of those 50,000 people selected to live in the underground bunker come the meteor, Jamie. Seriously. But, but at the end of the day, I think I should be. Yes, because, well. And I have this, uh, this ongoing joke with my sister, Hillary, who's just younger than me by about 18 months. Mm-hmm. So we're very close in age. Grew up very kind of competitively, mm-hmm. um, but friendly. Uh, she has been like a paramedic for years since she just graduated nursing school. Oh, congratulations. So she's working in like, you know, hospital ICUs, like legitimately, literally saving lives. Saving lives. So, you know, um, and we always joke that she saves lives, but I make them worth living. Yes. Because, you know. Um, I agree. Food, food and drink, yes, absolutely. Do we do we need them to survive? We do. Do we need them at the level that I create them? Absolutely not. I know. Seriously, can we talk about the cocktails that you've made and won competitions sure. with? Sure, yeah. So the first, I'm th- of course, I'm thinking about your David Bowie one. Um, <laughs> that one was a fun one. That was one of the, that was one of the first major competitions I did um, for Copper and King's Distillery, and, and they call it their mixtape competition every year. Which for me, like. You know, it checks a lot of boxes because music, rock and roll specifically, has always been very, you know, uh, very big in my life. And um, the really the only parameters on that one were to select a song that inspired you 
and to create a drink based off of that song using, you know, Copper and King's distillery products. And so I ended up doing um, one based on Ashes to Ashes Mm -hmm. by David Bowie, R.I.P. And um, I used like some activated charcoal in the cocktail. So it had this kind of inky black character. Um, I used egg white, which so it has that kind of that foam level on top. And I, I spent like three solid nights cutting out like a stencil of the lightning bolt with like edible glitter to put on top. Of course you did. And like I did. And then I forgot the stencil when I traveled to San Jose to do the competition. Oh, wow. So that was like, it broke my little heart. Mm. Um, but I ended up, you know, you just got to go with it. And um, yeah, so it was one of my first competitions. You live, you learn. I ended up throwing half of a drink on a judge by accident. So, you know. And you still won, right? I did. I did. That's inc- Maybe it was part of the show. It's, just it's, throw it's it part on. Of, you know what? Act like you know what you're doing and <laughs> half of the people will never know that you don't. Right. I think that's true of most things in life. I think so. As long as you're not doing surgery. (laughs) Okay. So once again, once again, reasons Robin is not a doctor. (laughs) I'm also thinking about you as you're like, I did the stencil. I had the edible glitter and I'm thinking, you're right. You're not going to be in the bunker, but man, if we're here, you aren't making lives better. I swear. Right. Yeah. Yes, I did. I spent way more hours of anyone's life than is needed to make an edible glitter stencil lighting really beautiful thing um what other drinks have you done that you like what's one that you've done that you really like to drink I mean I'm pretty varied on what I like to drink people ask me that a lot um I tend to gravitate more towards either whiskey or gin Mm -hmm. um as kind of my go-tos depending on my mood um but for me as long as a drink is balanced and it's not too sweet and it's got something interesting going on I'm Mm -hmm. I'm all about it Mm -hmm. I'm all about taking chances um I like to use a lot of fresh product in my cocktails Mm -hmm. um and coming from the central coast of California you use what's in your own backyard we have such a plethora of opportunity to do that uh I like using you know sometimes vegetable juices and things that you wouldn't normally see in cocktails um herbs um vinegars things like that so um I did do a drink recently this past summer for Tales of the Cocktail is the world's biggest drinks convention um in New Orleans every year I've been a guest this this was my fifth year in a row and it is it's it's work but it's also kind of like summer camp like spending a week in New Orleans like drinking and going to parties that these brands throw like um, over the top I'm sure just out of control oh yeah I mean like Snoop Dogg played one of the parties like two years sure. ago I mean sure, sure. like you do <laughs> so it's really it's a reward for all of these industry professionals for using these products in our cocktails but it's also an educational opportunity there are seminars and I've learned some amazing things I've taught some amazing things mm-hmm. and every year they hold a competition for the official cocktail of Tales of the Cocktail and uh, they always choose like a classic cocktail. I think a couple of years ago it was the margarita and the martini. Last year it was the highball, which is great because it's kind of a blank slate. Yeah. All a highball is is a spirit and a carbonated mixer. So like a rum and coke is a highball, a gin and tonic is a highball. I did not know that actually. Yeah. I nod my head like I know. It's any you look, spirit? See, but you look like you no, know. I know. I'm good at that. But <laughs> I didn't realize it's any spirit at all. It really is. There are more classic versions of a highball for yeah. sure. But really to be a highball, all you need is a spirit and then a carbonated mixer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and the you, the challenge is to come up with kind of your version of 
the ideal highball. Yeah. And since it's a, such a simple cocktail, I wanted to keep that streamlined format, but do something interesting within it. So I selected a Japanese whiskey, like the Suntory Toki whiskey, which mm-hmm. is really light and almost like, you know, elegant for a whiskey. Mm-hmm. I did a night blooming jasmine tea syrup. What? And then um, just some fresh lemon and some club soda. And Sounds but beautiful. New Orleans loves its jasmine. It's a big important flower down there. Mm-hmm. And so out of all of the, you know, submissions from around the world, they chose mine. So they uh, they flew me out there on their dime and you know, I got to do a lot of cool events, bartend with some of like the cr- most crazy famous bartenders like on the planet. Just, you know, me back there shaking up some cocktails with these people. Oh, like Robin. it's no biggie. So That is so cool. It was. I was. Uh, that was the first time I remember actually being a little nervous in a while. Mm-hmm. So, and, but it's nice to know that you know I, I still care that much about something so to be nervous. Not, right. Yes. I like that. It's. Um, I hadn't ever thought of it this way. But when you're talking about, you know, you love wine, but you didn't have a hand in making it. Mm-hmm. With a cocktail, you get to use such a huge variety of products. Also, not always seasonally based products. Like I'm thinking, you know, you can do. You can do um, rum or gin or whiskey anytime. Absolutely. It's all about kind of how you how you treat that. Right. It's like saying like, you know, chicken isn't seasonal. Like right. it is. It's it's I mean it's you know it's, it's weird to even <laughs> <laughs> but but I tend to think of of drinks like food, yeah. And maybe that's why my drinks end up being so kind of culinary, mm-hmm. um, because sometimes I do. I'll, I'll use things. I did a, a drink recently where you know I used bourbon with um, fresh carrot juice and dill and ginger, and it's garden. Yeah, it's garden and and really kind of like backyard cocktails, farmers market cocktails are my niche, mm-hmm. and it's one of those things as as a mixologist like a chef you you have to have a broad knowledge of kind of the basics of like the mother sauces if you will yeah. the mother cocktails mm-hmm. but within that you have to find out what your particular talent is what your vibe is yeah. and mine's very california it's very mm-hmm. you know seasonally influenced everything is as local and sustainable as i can make it mm-hmm. so and i think that thankfully the cocktail world is traveling more towards that than you know those sticky blue drinks from the 80s that now, you saw hey now hey now <laughs> i i tend to drink at least one blue hawaiian a year it's like fanta i also have it I, is. I have one fanta a year cuz i have that like itch for it and then i scratch that itch well and we i, don't I mean we grew it. up in the generation of crystal pepsi so you know that's you right have to... right now isn't that the one i can't hear that song without <laughs> thinking of like cindy crawford at a gas station <laughs> did you ever see there was a saturday night live spoof on that and it was instead of crystal pepsi it was crystal gravy yes no matt says that every time <laughs> matt is my husband uh, every time i mention crystal pepsi he's like crystal gravy crystal gravy and it's like it looks like glue. It's like pouring down their bodies. Oh, yeah, totally. Good times, good times. Being, um, I mean, you are a mixologist, but a big part of that job is still tending bar. Absolutely. And so what I want to know is, have you ever seen, like, tell me one of your craziest drunk people stories. Oh, or do you sign goodness. an NDA that says, I don't? No, okay. no, absolutely. I, okay. I, there is no bartender, you know, 
client privilege, I will tell your dirty stories because I had to live through them with you. Yes, that's the the price you pay. I mean, um, it's there. There are like funny ones where just recently I had two people in my bar, and they were over on the other side with the other bartender. And at a certain point, I looked at them. I'm like, they they didn't come in together, did they? Because she uh. was just on his lap. Mm. I'm like, wow, is that a, that's a love connection that we just made for them. That's super fun. You have to name your baby after us now. Um, but then when I, when I was in New York specifically was when a lot of like the crazy bartending stories happen, but, uh, you know, bars stay open until 4am in New York, as I'm sure you remember. And, um, and nobody drives anywhere. So that's not like a concern. So it was nice for me to not have to be able to, you know, to worry about that as much, but like, but people go crazy sometimes. And, um, I had this guy once he, uh, I, I had cut him off. I'm like, you know, I think, I think we're done for the night Mm -hmm. and I've never had a problem doing that. It's, it can be awkward for some people, but I'm, you know, just like you, I I think, I think we're done for the night. Yeah. And he, like, I could see, like, the anger, like, seething mm-hmm. in his eyes. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I took a step back. This gentleman took the glass that was on the bar in front of him and literally bit off a piece of the glass. Oh, and then oh. he spat it on the floor and he walked out the door. I'm like, wow. Oh, like, I'm sorry I ruined your night, buddy. Hey, look, it, it didn't hurt you at all, Robin. No. It only hurt him. It only hurt him. Who takes so. a bite out of glass? I don't know. You know, cocaine's a hell of a drug. Oh boy. Um, so I don't know, but, um, and then I, I love the, the people who, who order drinks that they, they don't understand. Uh, (laughs) me. Yeah. Well, you know, and I had this lovely lady order a martini and I, I fixed her, you know, a lovely martini and she took a sip and she said, wow, this is strong. Yeah. Can you, she said, can you make this a little less strong? Mm -hmm. And I had to explain to her that there's nothing but booze in a martini. I'm like, I can, yeah. but it's going to turn it into a gin and tonic for you. And that's why it's so you know? popular. <laughs> that's why it had its season of like right. big popularities because it was, that's all it was, was booze. It's just booze. It's yeah. uh, it's booze and it hardcore in a pretty glass. Do you have a favorite way to drink a martini? I do. I prefer, I'm a big fan of the Vesper. Tell me what that is. So um, Vesper, you will know if you were a James Bond fan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I tend to pick gin over vodka. Yeah. Um, I tend to think anything vodka can do, gin can do better. Yeah. Well, it um, has something going it, on. It's got character, yeah. which is something I go for. But um, a, a Vesper is um, equal parts gin and vodka mm-hmm. um, with Lillet, which is, um, Ooh, which so is a, pretty. you know, a fortified wine. It's floral. Yeah. It's, um, it's lighter. Um, so that stirred, served in a cold glass with a nice little lemon express on top. So oh gosh, I would be still, so done. It is. It's definitely one of those. I had one in the afternoon a few weeks ago and I hadn't done that in a while. <laughs> I was walking out of, it was, um, it was a flower house downtown oh, and I love them. And I mm-hmm. love sitting like at the bar right by their little window there with the white marble bar. Mm-hmm. And my drink looked so pretty. And I was so happy that I was having a cocktail in the afternoon. And then I got up to walk out the door and I'm like, Whoa. Yeah. That's, that's big. They make a good drink there. So they do. I know yeah. that they really specialize in that too. Yeah. You are at the hatch. I am uh, the hatch rotisserie and bar in uh, beautiful downtown Paso Robles. What a- Oh, you know, I've never had a cocktail there. I'm so sorry, but I've had dinner there and mm-hmm. it is, 
it's dangerously good. It's really good. And I love what the owners, Maggie and Eric, have done with it's, you know, it's a simple concept. It's wood fired comfort food. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a little bit of, you know, a southern edge to it yes. as well, but we wouldn't call ourselves southern food in yeah. any way. But it's it's understandable food cooked in, you know, the, the best way with maybe a couple surprises. Yeah. So we're going to have things like our insanely good rotisserie chicken that yes, we have seven nights so a week. Good. It's ruined me for all other chicken. It's Seriously. unfortunate. I don't think I'm ever going to try to cook a chicken again. And you can pick it up and take it home. I mean, people do that. Yeah, a lot. absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we, we make our own hot sauce in house, which is insane. And I want to put it on everything. Yeah. Um, and you know, the shrimp and grits, which have been on the menu since day one, wood fired mushrooms, the, the hen of the woods mushrooms. I was never a mushroom fan until I had these. It's just, it's, um, our menu is not epic. Um, but it's, everything is done so well and I have so much respect for that. Yeah. I actually love a really small menu Mm -hmm. of favorites. I love the range is like, they just don't veer off. I think I've said this at least three times on this podcast, but I love that about them. But know what, know what you do, know what you do well and don't feel like you have to do everything. Yeah. I feel like too many places nowadays get overly ambitious and it's like, choose choose a few things and do them amazingly mm-hmm. you right. know the pimento cheese there is Ugh. i Ugh. just want to i just need to pack it on my body um, directly so <laughs> our owner eric he has this uh this dish that he kind of creates and it's it's ridiculously good but like i don't think your cardiologist would like it much right. um it's our our meatloaf our house-made meatloaf with that poached egg on top yes with pimento cheese like on it? Like on it. Oh, jeez. And like the house hot sauce and like you just eat it with the house made salt and vinegar chips. It's almost like a oh. weird nacho thing. That is meatloaf. not something your cardiologist <laughs> wants you to eat. No, but. I think we should start calling it pimento jeez. Jeez. <laughs> that's too much. Let's do it. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's awesome. And you're doing other projects. Well, and we didn't really talk about your writing. Yeah. So the for... writing, you know, it's weird. I come by it honestly, if somewhat circuitously. Um, I come from a family of writers on like both sides, and it was again like you. It's never really something that I thought like, oh, I'm gonna be a writer. Mm-hmm. But um, I have opinions, and I like telling people what I think. And you're so... very good at it. You're Thank very good you. at writing the the opinions. I mean, a lot of people have those thoughts and mm-hmm. feelings, but they can't put it in right. words. Um, I hopefully my writing style is is like my my personality and like my cocktails and it's approachable and you know mm-hmm. quirky in a way i don't it know it's it's all of those things so yeah. i like writing i do and um i think hopefully i've got a couple of good cocktail books in me um is that it's, happening currently it's something i've been working on for a while it's definitely one of those things where i have to decide whether you know when to take it off the back burner mm-hmm. and like put it more into the forefront. Um, as I'm sure you're aware, writing takes time. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not a super quick writer. I hate that about so, it. So, um, and I tend to overthink a lot of what I write. So I'll have to write something and then step away from it and then come back yeah. to it. 
Um, but yeah, there's a couple of book ideas that I'm toying around with. One is definitely like what we touched upon with the kind of backyard farmer's market cocktails, um, more of a book not written for industry people, but written for like the home bartender, um, taking a bottle of, you know, your favorite spirit and then what you find at the farmer's market locally and creating some fun cocktails with it. Yeah. And then I also want to work on something that, um, deals with women in the bar industry mm-hmm. because women are really having a moment right now. And it's, it's great that it's, you know, come around because for years it, you know, people didn't want to see a woman behind the bar making drinks. They wanted a cocktail waitress and they wanted a bartender. Interesting. Yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of the gender roles in our industry are, you know, being kind of smashed and that's great. Um, as a female, you know, bar manager, I, I run the bar at the hatch and that's not a place that, you know, um, people are used to seeing females. I still have people, you know, who will come into my bar and look past me at my bar back and say, oh no, I'll just wait for the bartender to make me a drink. It doesn't happen as, as regularly as it used to, Mm -hmm. but you know, and, um, even, you know, for, for decades and even back into like the late 19th century, um, there, there have been women in, you know, the spirits industry and the bar industry. It just really hasn't, wasn't ever talked about. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I think, you know, something along the lines of drink like a lady is gonna, you know, gonna come out of whatever writing orifice I use. So <laughs> I think that's awesome. Totally yeah. awesome. I, I, that bar back situation, I was involved with an organization that helped and and kind of it worked for the advancement of women in the alcohol beverage beverage alcohol beverage industry and there were many stories about you know i mean sales in particular is pretty ugly oh yeah it can be pretty ugly Mm -hmm. and it's not a place where you would often find women um you know trying to close a deal and there's a really incredible story i was told about a woman um, she's now in alcohol sales, but at the time she was in TV and, and film industry and she was trying to make some kind of deal in a tech forum and she was the only woman on the sales team and she had this deal that she was working and it really looked like it was going to work out. And the guy said, um, let's talk over dinner. And so she said, great. They met up for dinner, all of them together had dinner. She keeps kind of working it, working it. And he says, let me think about it. And he and a bunch of the men ended up going to a strip club. Together. I was going to say, I know exactly where this is. Did heading. you really? I, I kind of did. And you know, and that it's, it's sad that that story is not surprising. It is sad. Well, and so when I first heard it, they go to the strip club and one of her, one of her mm. colleagues Let her know. the deal oh, God. at the strip club because they all went out and had. So he gets that, yeah. you know. And here she's been like, you know, paving the way for right. weeks, months, whatever. Um, but that's the kind of story that just, I think it's one of those things that we didn't even see how unjust it was until recently. Oh, of course. Of course. Well, and it's, you know, it's also one of those things like being a woman in this industry, you don't want to be labeled as that person who's standing there beating their chest saying, you know, I deserve this. I deserve this. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's, it, it's hard because I've, I've played this game for so long and it really was a man's game for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I think that the women have just decided that they're not going to play it anymore. And, you know, I, 
there are so many amazing women in the bar industry these days and so many just supportive groups and um even in like the competitions that and I've been doing competitions at like a national level for maybe three four years now mm-hmm. when I first started out I was often like the only female I believe in it. the room mm-hmm. at, as a contender at that level and now it's so much better and I'm so happy about that mm-hmm. and I think that you know and I'm fortunate in you know our own bar community on the central coast are there many more men than women absolutely but i i've never seen from any of them any hint of you know what we're discussing mm-hmm. and everybody's just super supportive of everybody else yeah. so that's amazing yeah i'm thinking as you talk also about i i'm glad that there are more women involved in you know pretty much any sector of industry but specifically that in the bar industry, it's not only the coyote ugly kind of uh, service. Absolutely, and I for a while, um, my my bar program at the Hatch was entirely female bartenders, and it was not ever something that I intended in any way. But just one day, I just kind of looked around, and it's like, hey. oh, it's it's all of these amazing women, mm-hmm. and you know, they've come from, you know, bartending and dive bars forever. And, you know, coming from um, more wine side and like people who, who came to me and, you know, interviewed with us and, and said, I, I want to do this. Mm-hmm. I want to learn to do this. Um, I don't know how to make your fancy ass drinks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said, mm-hmm. I can teach you how to make my fancy ass drinks. Right, cool. So, um, and it's just so amazing to see like these people just flourishing and just, you know, becoming just these creative powerhouses on their own. Mm-hmm. And mentoring is a big part of, you know, this industry because people talk about how do you learn to be a bartender? Do you go to bartending school? No, you mm-hmm. don't. You you get a job in, you know, a bar that does things that you like and you bar back for a while and you learn the business and you kind of come up within that. Mm-hmm. So, it's definitely yeah. an apprenticeship. So, that's the best way to learn. Yeah. Well, I hope you do end up writing at least one of those books, I think that they could be, if nothing else, just really beautiful and really um, meaningful, both to our area and to, you know, an entire gender. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I, I want to write them because I love reading books that other people have written. Yeah. And if I had had, you know, a book like that about women in the bar industry when I started years ago, um, I think it would have, you know, helped me kind of uh, evade some of those like landmines that yeah. I had to step on. So, yeah. okay. So tell me, um, I always like to wrap up with, um, tell me about your final meal, but before we get there, I want to mm-hmm, know mm-hmm. what is your, let's say, what is your final show tune? Oh God, I feel like that's so much harder. I know it's really mean. Um, and I I love a lot of like new musicals that are coming out and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna say a tie. Okay. Um, I'm gonna throw it old school. I'm gonna go back to Les Mis like mm-hmm. one day more. Like there's sure. just like never been a more powerful end to a first act ever. Yeah. Right. Um. And then I will throw in some new style and go with uh, the opening of Hamilton, man. Look at you. I, I mean, actually am getting chills. That's so interesting. When you said both of those, it's like my body See, reacted. And that's why, that's why those pieces, because they give you those chills. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's why we love them so much. Okay, so while you're listening to those very epic yes. songs, you are having what to eat? 
Oh man. Um, I, I am such a Thai food devotee. I'm going to, I'm going to go with Thai food. Yeah. The spicier, the better. What you've recommended dishes to me before Thai dishes. What would be your, probably, um, I'm a big curry fan. Mm -hmm. So spicy curry, spicy duck curry. Mm, Yeah. That's a good one. Done. And what are you drinking with that? I mean, if it's the spicy duck curry, I, I, will, I would have to have something refreshing. But mm-hmm. um, like kind of desert island cocktail, um, I would have to go with a black Manhattan. It's like my what number one go-to drink. So classic Manhattan is uh, two parts uh, whiskey, usually rye, one part sweet vermouth, two dashes bitters, 212, mm-hmm. New York area code. So oh, you remember it. Okay. Wow. Good tip. There you go. <laughs> You're learning something. I am. And then a black Manhattan. Manhattan simply substitutes instead of the sweet vermouth, um, we use an Amaro. Um, I Yum. like to use a Verna. So you're familiar with Amaro's yes. Italian style aperitif digestives, more bitter herbal liqueurs. Yeah. So it just adds a little bit more interesting depth to that drink. So I love Amaro also. Well, I love bitter anything. Then you need a black Manhattan in your life. Okay. Let's I'll make get you one. one. Let's get one this afternoon Absolutely. and then regret it. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, Robin. I love having you here. Thank you so much. Consumed is produced by me, Jamie Lewis, and edited by Chris Lambert. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. And be sure to support the good folks who join me each episode. To learn more about any of my guests, visit letsgetconsumed.com. Until next time, I'm Jamie Lewis.